It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down American loser the day I was born Ladies and gentlemen, Patreon exclusive, baby, all right? So if you're hearing this, you're a member of the Founding Losers, and I want to go ahead and say thank you. My name's K.P. Burke. The show's called American Loser, but you guys know all that already because you're helping us out. You're taking, you're going the extra mile to make sure that I can continue to buy Ming Chen's love one week at a time, all right? But uh, we're in here real quick. I just have one thing I got to do before we introduce our great guest and our awesome topic. Real quick, I want to say thank you so much. Uh, I had a couple of shows this weekend. We had Founding Losers, Patreon members in the crowd for both of those shows. So shout out to uh, John Hirsch coming up there with his brother up to uh, Napanock, New York, to come see me uh, opening for the uh, the great Bobby Kelly. And then the night before that, I got surprised. Uh, and it was really cool because I was so frazzled. I showed up a half hour late to my own show, which was not good. Um, I thought it was a half hour early. Really, I was 15 minutes late. But uh, Marion Flanel, uh, I think is how uh, he pronounced it. He's a German guy. Uh, awesome dude. Brilliant guy. We have very smart listeners. Dad. We do. You know that? We do. Very, Obviously. very smart listeners. Uh, he works in robotics or something, and he came out with a friend of his, uh, and they were sitting front row at the show. And I was so frazzled, I couldn't even appreciate the moment when I walked up on stage. They were bringing me up on stage. The kid didn't know my credits or anything for the intro because I was running late. And uh, he goes to bring me up, and some from in the crowd just screams out, American loser! <laughs> Which, if you know... If you know, that makes me feel good. Everyone else in the crowd is just hearing a German guy screaming, American loser. <laughs> <laughs> like I have some sort of a weird beef with him, like it's uh, in a revenge for the Olympics in the 80s or something. I don't know, man. But Marion, thank you so much for coming out. John Hirsch, thank you so much for coming out, guys. It means a lot. And again, it also means a lot if you're listening to this, because that means you're a Patreon member. Just three or five dollars a month. Tell your friends. Explain to them the great content we're giving them here. I'm KP Burke. My deal for the dad, Lawrence Patrick, is in the house. Say hello. In the house. Hello. And what, <laughs> oh, man. I don't want to point out for people to listen to this, but anytime I say, dad, you got anything else left? He starts off every sentence with no, just, uh, and then goes for five minutes. There you so. go. <laughs> it's my, uh, my MO. And we, uh, we have a returning guest by the way, because this topic was set aside specifically for him. One of my best friends on planet earth, the hilarious returning conquering champion, big rich from Jersey. How you doing, buddy? Hey, thanks for having me, KP. I'm just trying to increase my lead. Over every other guest. That's a <laughs> <laughs> so six time, six time. Oh, that's right. He's Shit. the he's yeah. the uh, the best friend of the week. He is the Ric Flair of this uh, this joint over I really here. Am. I'm trying to get that that length going, so like no Mark Ricadonna can ever catch up. That's <laughs> that basically yeah. that's it. Comes from Mark's neck. Yeah, Mark's got to call me back. By the way, that reminds me. Um, now, interestingly enough, we set this topic aside for you, BRFJ. That's Big Rich from Jersey, folks. You know it. Um, we set this topic aside for him here because it's a damn good one. And of course, real quickly, before we jump into that, who's behind the ones and twos? You guys know him. Big Kahuna, say hello to the people. What's going on, guys? How are you? Absolutely. You want to uh, plug your sister's album real quick? Uh, my singer, my, my singer, my sister, who is a singer-songwriter, just released a new song. Uh, if, you, if you know who I am, because most, most founding losers have already kind of figured it out. But if you know who I am, you follow my social media, you'll see I've made a couple of posts about it. Go listen to it. It's quite nice. 
Yes, her name is Kahunet. <laughs> Kahunet. The Kahunets. <laughs> no, support that, I, man. I, I, I loved it, but I also hated the joke. I don't know, I don't know how else to react to it. No, that's an accurate uh, review of the show. <laughs> and, that uh, means it worked. That's right. Oh also God. true. We got, uh, oh, and I just have to fight one person real quick, Dad. Just one person we got to fight. Fight? Yeah, on YouTube, uh, some jerk off made a comment uh, on our Demo Dick episode that I thought was interesting. Um, and he goes, I can't believe uh, if we were, if ever, the bad guys ever wanted to really punish uh, Dick Marcinko, they would strap him to a chair and make him listen to this podcast or this video rather. Uh, and then he was talking about how I've never heard somebody want to hear himself talk so much. Marcinko should take him out of his own misery for all of us. And I just wrote back to it. I normally wouldn't respond to a negative comment, but I just wrote easy tiger. All right. Easy. Uh, it's a podcast, so I'm not sure what the fuck we're supposed to do other than talk. <laughs> and please send me your email address and we'll refund you all the money this didn't cost you. All right. You're right. So if you didn't like some of your free content, you don't complain about it. All right. Oh, this is free pizza next door. It's, you know, it was terrible. I don't know, but it was free, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. So then fuck yourself. That's it. It's over. And I ate the whole thing and it still wasn't very good, but you managed to eat the whole thing, didn't you? Well, there's a lot of people that still think you're Demo Dick Marcinko on that episode and that I'm interviewing you. Yeah. Well, there's a fact check for you. Yeah. A lot of <laughs> people figure this out eventually. So another but, uh, podcast where they talk. <laughs> yeah, really? Oh. oh, let me guess. In sports, you guys are going to try to score points or something? <laughs> right. Can you hear me now? All right. There we go. Well, there We're we go. Good. It's off the show. Now, this one will sound even crazier, though, guys. But did you know that back in 1971, a plane ticket could cost you as little as $20? Did you know that, BRFJ? Was it right after a pandemic or something? It must have been. <laughs> Oof, uh, the right. bailouts are coming. Um, you could also pay in cash, by the way back in the day nice. for a plane ticket, which is pretty cool. Uh, of course, this isn't a super, super long flight we're talking about today. Maybe the distance between, say, Portland and Seattle, which nowadays, that 45-minute flight can cost almost seven times as much. But back in 1971, it could save you nearly two hours of travel time, or it could etch your name into the history books forever. At least that's what's going to happen with today's loser, the infamous Mr. D.B. Cooper. Cooper! Now, you follow the story. Now, we've alluded to the idea that you have uh, a background in perhaps law enforcement. Sure, we could say there's an illusion there. An yeah. illusion. <laughs> yeah, so um, you followed this case for a while, right? Yeah, this is one of those cases you just remember hearing about as a kid. Right. And just trying to trying to wrap your brain around how it happened. And you've been following it as a kid, and the FBI's been following it for over 45 yeah. years. So. <laughs> I think we're both uh, just as close to figuring it <laughs> right. out. Any right. day now. Any day now, folks. <laughs> but uh, on Thanksgiving Eve 1971, a man using the name Dan Cooper, not DB, Dan Cooper, will buy a plane ticket on Northwest Orient Flight 305 for that aforementioned 30-minute flight to Seattle. He pays cash for his ticket, boards the plane with nothing but a black attache case, which you know about walking around a place with a black attache case trying to impress chicks at Montclair State University, Dad, right? Yeah, wearing sunglasses and uh, men in black. No, 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 Montclair. Okay. Yeah, no, that's, that's, a, that's another story. That's how. That's yeah. another story yeah. for another time. Yeah, that's how his mom came into the picture. Um, <laughs> it works every time. Indeed it does, man. You're another guy who enjoys a good attache case, uh, BRFJ. Mine's more of a man satchel like Indiana Jones carries. Oh, yeah. Purse. I'm sorry. Purse. You're right. Man, man purse. 
Well, uh, he pays cash for this ticket, like we're saying here, sits down in the seat very much towards the back of the plane, orders himself a bourbon and soda, and chain smokes like a motherfucker the entire flight. So this is definitely, if you didn't know it was the 70s yet, this probably gave you a good idea. Yeah, yeah. See, this is where I connected with D.B. Cooper, because literally just a couple years ago on a flight to Vegas, I sat down on the plane, and I told the stewardess, I want a bourbon and Coke. I have something explosive in my pants for you. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and the FBI also investigated that. That's right. <laughs> right, right. As you were escorted off the plane. It has different a, times, different times in the early time. 70s. Uh, I mean, as soon as you're, on the, soon as you're on, on the plane, there was no TSA or any of that um, back, in, back in the day of uh, when this took place in 1971. So next time that you're standing in line at the TSA, this is the motherfucker responsible for all of it. As great <laughs> of a story as it is, I don't know if it's worth the extra 40 minutes to get on a plane. Well, right? there was a couple of guys that took it a few notches more beyond what D.B. Cooper did uh, that kind of attributed to the TSA that we know today. But so, there's something there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he sits down on his seat towards the back of the plane, starts drinking those nice bourbons like we were talking about here. And this is the 70s, so presumably the flight attendant is probably pretty good looking, okay? And uh, this is when Mr. Cooper, who uh, is not wearing sunglasses yet, but will shortly put them on. Very dark sunglasses. I've been on some planes with dark sunglasses, but that's usually for another reason. Um, sure. He goes ahead and he hands this uh, flight attendant a note. And the attractive flight attendant, who gets handed a piece of paper by some lonely middle-aged businessman, what does she do with the paper, Rich? Probably put it in her pocket thinking this is a phone number and I'm never going to call this man. Yeah, okay. Let me just be polite because I got to serve him drinks for the next right. you know, 15, 20 minutes. But once he's off the plane, I never have to deal with him again. Or I give him a fake number back, right? right? That's what she thinks. So she just goes ahead and dismisses that. And that's when Mr. Dan Cooper goes ahead and says, uh, excuse me, ma'am, you might want to read that. I have a bomb on me. And uh, all of a sudden she realized this is not. It's not exactly a phone number, is it? It's not yeah. Johnny Knoxville. Yeah. We heard a jackass. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> and again, to the to the times of the uh, early seventies, there were hijackings like all the time. That this was a very common occurrence that be having a plane hijack. So uh, there was a lot of different things going on within the airline industry. A lot of guys were um, political fanatics that were demanding to be flown to Cuba. Um, and all, all kinds of all kinds of crazies and so they took this seriously to the to the point where okay yeah a bomb and then i think she even uh took uh took a look at the inside of his briefcase correct he showed she eventually does because uh the flight attendant's name by the way florence schaffner so you know that a, a woman named flo back in the 70s she's gonna be good looking you kind of know that it wasn't an old lady name yet but uh she opened up the note uh, in very neat handwritten letters, all caps, of course, because, you know, he was yelling it, uh, explained <laughs> that this lonely businessman did indeed have a bomb and was making demands as he was about to pull off something known as skyjacking, okay, which is not Mile High Club by yourself. Um, skyjacking here. <laughs> see yeah, see. A little, little play on words there, no? Well, it gives a little interesting demand okay. up front, too. He's uh, very, very simple because this is the part where... We talk about the show Loser all the time. There's people that are completely just straight up bastards. And there's other people who are like, that scoundrel is probably pretty good to hang out with. And then there's people you feel really sorry for. So try to think, if you can already, where you guys would rank him on this one. Because depending on what story you want to believe, we're gonna we've got some evidence here we're going to present. Uh, we're going to try to make a compelling case to have Judge Kahuna make a court decision. <laughs> On who dun, he dun, thinks dun, it is. Dun 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 dun. Oh, dun, dun. He, he just put his he just put his pensive dun, face dun, on. Dun, 
Um, but yeah, uh, now Schaefner, Flo, she did ask to, she sits down next to him. She goes, well, can I see the bomb? You know, because you got to make sure he's actually, you know, not full sure. of shit. And he opens it up in this little attache case. Uh, there's eight cylinders, four stacked on top of four with red wires, red insulated wires, all leading into some sort of a battery looking thing. So, Rich, if someone tells you they have a bomb, how much are you going to leeway are you going to give them on what the bomb should look like? Yeah, if it looks sort of like a bomb, you kind of got to assume it, may, it could be a bomb. It might be a bomb. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That, or why does that bowling ball have a fuse coming out yeah, of it? Right. Is that ticking? Right. Um, yeah, I don't think she's going to call BS on them right there. No, not on a plane yeah. for sure. Because no. skyjacking had happened before here, but this is this is an intricate job here, right, LP? Yeah, and there's also uh, the safety of, I believe, 35 other passengers on board that she's Indeed. concerned with too. And I believe... Uh, that first flight attendant, uh, Flo, she it was she was a recent hire, so you know she's not she's not an experienced uh, flight attendant at this particular point in time. And as I say, there's been that period of uh, time from the late '60s to the early '70s. There was a, a huge number of skyjackings, and a lot of them were done with a lot less than uh, um, I don't know a bomb, a threatened bomb, but just with a with a knife and. You had no locked cockpits or any of that type of stuff at, at this point in time either. So that was all to come later on. So we're we're in the wild west of skyjacking at this point. Well, this is where, again, Mr. Dan Cooper, because, again, he gets remembered as DB. We'll explain why later. But Mr. Dan Cooper at the time, that's the name that he gave at the counter when he bought his ticket in cash to get on this flight. It's going to take him from Portland to Seattle. And that's all he needed was a name. Pretty much. Not even ID card, nothing. Nine, name and a, a $20 name? bill could get you just about yeah. anywhere back in the 70s. Yeah, the good old days. What's your name and uh, the cash? Yeah. Uh, you didn't even need the credit card or two points of uh, ID or anything. Nothing. Well, imagine how many flights he could get at $20 a flight with the ransom demand that he's about to make, which is pretty sizable here. The demands are very simple. Uh, Schaefner, uh, Flo, our girl, the, uh, the flight attendant, she's to give the note to the pilot who will then relay the demands over to the tower that then the airline can make the decision here. And remember, it's Northwest Orient Airlines, Flight 305. On the ground, the officials over at Northwest Airline are told that they have to put together a ransom of $200,000. This is a 1971 money. You want to take a wild guess how much that would be today, Cajones? Mm, 1.5 mil? Oof. All right, guy, so math is guy the knows skill. It. Yeah. It's, it's, it's right. He fixes his glasses and boom, look what happens. <laughs> Wait, was that it? Uh, like roughly? You're, you're roughly there. Yeah, man. Adjusted for inflation. Solid. BRFJ, you look like you pulled up a note as soon as we said that. Yeah, you'll see, you'll hear that uh, one this later. Is exciting. You let me know when, man. Uh, also yeah, so it's things. about $1.3 million. So we'll we'll give that one to the Kahuna. $1.5 I mean, Hey, man, you bet the under. He got it. That's right. So. That's right. <laughs> but uh, also in the demands are for four parachutes, two primary and two reserve. And additionally, a fuel truck will have to be standing by to refuel the plane when Cooper will allow it to land safely in Seattle. So Florence again asked to see the bomb and it was displayed. So this is a legit threat here. This is, holy crap, do what this guy says. We'll figure out something down the road here. Uh, it, it's the traditional, you know, guys very calm in the back. And they spoof him an airplane a little bit too. Uh, I've got a bomb, that guy. <laughs> so there's a lot going on with this one. But something like this, uh, it had been sort of done before, but uh, I thought this was interesting. President of the airline, Mr. Donald Nyrup, he ordered the full cooperation with Mr. Cooper's demands. The plane would then circle for the next two hours up in the sky. So if you want to piss off some people on a plane, man, your 30-minute flight that's supposed to take you Seattle to Portland, right. sorry, Portland to Seattle, it's now taking you an additional two hours. And they keep getting told, oh, there's 
maintenance issue with the plane or oh, there's something going on down on the uh, airship. So they don't even tell them what's going on here. That's how calm, cool, and collected Mr. Cooper's playing it in the back there. He goes, hey, ma'am, I have a bomb, and uh, you guys just do what I say, and every, no one gets hurt, you know? Yeah, he said that the, he was not um, the typical skyjacker acting like a, a fanatic uh, maniac screaming or hollering. He was very calm, very polite. Arguably and, uh, scarier. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It, there is a little bit of a uh, like a Javier Bardem, no country for old men thing when it's just no emotion behind it, you know, mm -hmm. kind of a creepy thing there. But they even complimented him because Flo actually, I believe, even said that what you were getting towards uh, Flo states that he's polite and a well-spoken gentleman. And he even uh, this, this is what <laughs> this is where he does remind me a little bit of you, uh, BRFJ. Thank you. After uh, flashing the bomb. He also then goes ahead and uh, as they're, you know, frantic now in the plane, like, oh, my God, this guy, he might kill us. People on the ground are going crazy. They're trying to get a fuel truck brought around. And he goes, I'll have another bourbon soda, please. <laughs> right. <laughs> Continues to chain smoke nonstop like a motherfucker the whole flight. Like this guy. And then uh, also pays his tab while he's up. On <laughs> right. And then offered to uh, give the change to the stewardess or to the flight attendant. And, yeah, you know, like she refused. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and I think a key point, too, is that, she read the note, the the threat, and then relayed that to the cockpit, to the pilot. But then um, um, Dan Cooper um, took back the note. So the note is no longer available no to us. So um, that particular piece of evidence was uh, not to be forthcoming because he took it back from her. So she re relayed that information about, hey, there's a guy back in uh, 18C, I think it was, seat 18C that's now, got I a know bomb. Me. I would, if I already knew that things were going to work out the way they worked out, I would have added stuff for myself onto the ransom. Like, <laughs> that's right. There you go. <laughs> a pair of size seven Jimmy Choo's, please. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, like a headliner spot, please. Uh, yeah. <laughs> three Saturdays a month at the cellar. That's. <laughs> will, I will blow up everyone. But yeah, again, just sitting there, chain smoking like crazy. That's probably where all the, the nerves are coming out in on that one. But a very polite and well-spoken gentleman to the, the very end here. This actually starts to lead some interesting theories because then Flo's also stating that Cooper knows his shit, man. All right. This Dan Cooper guy. He goes, oh, that looks like Tacoma area down there. Oh, and then this Air Force base is only about 20 minutes away from where we're going to be landing. So they should be able to get that. And then she's got all this inside knowledge on the inner workings of the airline business. So he's trying to impress his stewardess. That, oh, he offers there. her a tip. Right? He's like, oh, by the way. In there. Yeah, I got shows all week at Sunset. <laughs> you know, that's a thing. But, I don't know if you've ever been to Poughkeepsie, New York. <laughs> well, this is going to lead to some later theories that potentially uh, Dan Cooper, this might be an inside job. Mm. So, again, we're going to present those cases in a second. Yeah, he was familiar with the with the, uh, with the the area. And now all this information, this, this bomb threat, this hijacking, skyjacking threat was passed on to the pilot, uh, William A. Scott. So the path, the rest of the passengers don't have a clue as to what's going on. And they're just circling and circling and circling, giving the authorities time to put the ransom money mm -hmm. together and all the other demands that oh, he had with the, with the parachutes and everything else. And, and they're just saying, oh, it's just just a minor a mechanical uh, issue. That you know, nothing, nothing to be concerned now, about. If you're in that situation, what would you rather have? Know that there's a guy with the bomb on the plane or just keep sitting like, what the fuck is going on with this airline? They can't do anything right. Yeah. No, they're trying to save your life right now, pal. All right. right. 
Yeah, but there were so many bad Yelp reviews after that. Like, <laughs> you know, it's just like, I mean, yeah. they saved my life and paid a ransom, averted disaster. But I mean, let's be honest, guys. Uh, no peanuts, 30 minutes later. <laughs> yeah, really? Could I have gotten a free meal? That would have been nice. Yeah. <laughs> the FBI would provide Cooper, by the way. The FBI here, all right, a little bit of a loserception here, because I believe this is going to be J. Edgar's bureau. Still in 1971. Yeah, he's still, yeah, he's still large yeah. and in charge in 71. Loser devotees remember that BRFJ was also the guest for that. That episode. was me. I don't there know you if you go. just saw the link, people. <laughs> Mark that in your home books. Oh, I guess we should do that on YouTube. Um, but the FBI will provide Cooper with 10,000 unmarked $20 bills. Uh, now, we say unmarked, Rich, but there's this new interesting way of tracking money with some of the, maybe the, the describe that. How does law enforcement really try to move in on that? Yeah, it was a really creative way of uh, putting numbers on the dollar bills. Uh, we call them serial numbers. And each bill has its own number. So you can kind of find out where that bill goes. They took pictures of all the bills too, I believe. Yes. Yep. That would have uh, taken some time. A photograph. <laughs> and that was it. Yeah, I took photographs of the bills. So yeah, you, you know the serial numbers, what they're going to be. Now, it's for tracing purposes down the road here, which only adds another fascinating layer to the mystery. Yes. Um, <laughs> so they provide 10,000 unmarked $20 bills. And as requested... Here's the important part. Civilian-style parachutes instead of military-style ones. They're brought from a local skydiving school. Yeah. So I thought yeah. that was worth noting. Uh, for, at first, they offered uh, Cooper the the parachutes that he requested from the local uh, Air Force base. But then he said, no, no go. That's uh, that's not acceptable. Uh, he wanted civilian-style where, you, where you're going to pull the ripcord yourself. And right. it's not an automatic kind of a thing. And then there's different speculation later on as to why he made that particular request. But uh, um, and going back to the bills, um, he requested that they did not they were not going to have consecutive serial numbers. But and they weren't they weren't. But they all had the same uh, um, letter to start out with indicating from what um, Federal Reserve Bank they came from. So they all all the serial numbers started with the letter L. So they knew that they came from the San Francisco uh, Federal Reserve Bank. So, uh -huh. so that was just another another way that the police could comply comply with the FBI could comply with the uh, skyjackers' demands, but at the same time, a little easier way of uh, tracking the money. That if somebody yeah. says, "Hey, this is this is from such and such a reserve bank," hey, wait a minute, did it start with L? No. Okay. Well, because if you steal money, eventually you're going to spend it. That's the theory, right? That's well, the, yeah. Well, I mean, I, yeah. There's not much other things to do with the money, but yeah, also true. It's a, so you know that there's a good way if you track that. They always say, "What did they say?" With all the conspiracy theories, follow the money. Follow the money. All right, which is what we do here on Patreon. Um, How much a month? That's, a, that's <laughs> three and five dollar a month tiers. All right. More merch coming for the $5. By. Oh, so there's going to be bonus content coming out as well. But a uh, it's interesting because now they're going to meet Mr. Cooper's demands here. And at 5.39 p.m. that same day, Cooper's demands will be met as he allows the plane to land at Seattle Airport. The passengers and non-essential crew members, including his charming uh, uh, flight attendant, Miss Flo, she's allowed to leave. Now, Cooper continues to display deep knowledge of the protocols followed by local agencies as well as the airlines themselves. He has the passengers lower all the window shades and park the plane on a very well-lit part of the tarmac so that snipers cannot be deployed to take him out here. So this guy knows some shit, man. Yeah, that's something uh, that you need to think ahead of. I wouldn't have thought of it. I would have realized as soon as I saw the red dot on my chest, I was like, you know what would be a great idea? <laughs> <laughs> oh, <why laughs> right. 
but they're fat. So this guy, he's displaying intelligence, right? If you guys are putting together a profile for him, he clearly knows some shit, right? Yeah, he's not dumb. And this is uh, years before the movie Delta Force, so he can't even say that right, he right. learned so it in the movies. You know, from Chuck Norris. <laughs> right, right. right. Uh, and you wouldn't see the red dot on your chest because uh, from a previous uh, – episode when we were talking about going into the Vietnam POW camp uh, they didn't have the they didn't have the uh the infrared uh, scopes or anything yet just yet but uh yeah good point let's, let's pull the shades down here anyhow that we're not going to see the interior right. of the cabin so then the guy is nervous who's going to be delivering this money now so uh, he is actually an airline employee i think he's another pilot or something but he doesn't want to be seen in his uniform. No, he's large and in charge for that particular area for the for the airline. But he doesn't so he's, want to be wearing an airline uniform because they, they're going to mistake him for a cop. Right. So he shows up in plain clothes with a knapsack and goes up there and meets him. He's like, you got the money? You got the plane? Yeah, okay, cool. Throws him a knapsack with all the money in it. So that's pretty pretty casual here. Um, now, again, like we said, uh, Flo and all the other people are getting off the plane here now. Not a bad tip, all right, if you want to talk about letting her leave with her life. Pretty decent tip for service on a plane. I do like to picture Cooper standing alongside the cockpit, though, as the passengers are exiting, given the old SNL. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> yeah, Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank uh, you. Just thank you for now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye <laughs> for now. Now, the next part of the story is where you start to realize just the level of intelligence we're dealing here with uh, Mr. Dan Cooper. Um, anything about this story jumping out at you so far, BRFJ? Um, obviously well-planned. You mm -hmm. know, this guy... Um, he he knew the situation. He he knew what uh what the steps that need to be taken to protect himself. He's a smart motherfucker, and uh, he's also again the the inner workings of the airlines where I find this case the most fascinating because during the refueling in Seattle, uh, Cooper instructed the remaining crew to stay up in the cockpit. While up there, he just calmly discussed the options and stated his demands for the next portion of the journey. Hey, so what do you guys think we should do? You know, he's like a team exercise here. Let's get together and think, guys. Um, the orders wind up coming down that Cooper's going to order them to head for Mexico City, right? Spring break, baby. Uh, wanting them to fly at Going to Mexico. <laughs> yeah, another another uh, little bit, a uh, tidbit, is that when the money was um, delivered, he instructed the other flight attendant, uh, Miss Mucklow, to go down the rear stairs of the aircraft, the aft stairs. That comes in later, too. And then, right. right so... This was a very special aircraft that um, this was a 727, uh, which was pretty much built for some of the smaller airports. Again, we're in the in the time frame where we're now offering shorter flights to some of the not so major cities. And this 727 fit that bill. And it had a very distinctive uh, um, rear air stair, they called it, that from the rear end of the plane, this staircase could be dropped down and you could mm -hmm. exit the plane from the rear of the plane. And he instructed um, this other flight attendant, Mucklow, to go down, grab the money, grab the parachutes and bring it back up the stairs to him. He wasn't going out onto the tarmac where, again, he might be picked off by yeah, a sniper or whatever. So, um, And the guy who's delivering the money was doing it in, in plain clothes mm -hmm. because he didn't want to be confused as a as a policeman to, to uh, rile up Mr. Cooper any further than he might already be. So Mexico City is going to be where you're trying to get to here, in theory. But that's where the conspiracies come in with this one. Was this all just a distraction? Because uh, Cooper's other instructions are, I want you guys flying at a minimum airspeed. All right. We're not going to exceed 10,000 feet in altitude. We're going to fly with the landing gear down. And I want the wing flaps lowered 15 degrees. This shit's specific. Yeah. 
Yeah, he knows what he's talking about right now. This is no fly-by-night thing here. He's yeah. you know, he knows his stuff. He didn't read about that in Popular Mechanics. He, uh, this no, was <laughs> Escape from Alcatraz reference. Right, like right. There you go. There but you go. He will also require that the landing gear be down, like we were saying, which is uh, kind of super important here. The cabin will be unpressurized and the aft exit will be lowered. That's that aft staircase that my father was just talking about. The uh, pilots agreed, but the Northwest front office said, no, 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 you can't fly with the aft exit open. That's not safe. You can't have it with the stairs down like that. And D.B. Cooper, Dan Cooper at this point, just goes, no, it's perfectly safe, but I'm not here to argue with you. Fine, we'll fly with the aft <laughs> staircase up. Just get me what I want. Right. So, And uh, another little interesting tidbit is that um, Dan Cooper, he bought the ticket as Dan Cooper, but then it was a media miscommunication and it's being uh, broadcast all over the world as db cooper uh not just dan cooper so he bought the ticket as dan cooper so that's who this guy really is whether he's using an alias or not who the hell knows but then the media play put it out there as db cooper and from from that point forward the world fake has known news. this guy yeah, i was waiting for right. that's a soundbite right there right you are fake news right <laughs> um Thanks, and liberal that, media that, elite. <laughs> <laughs> that plane, that 727 that had that rear staircase that could be uh, deployed um, from within, um, there was also a lot of CIA operatives that were, were uh, how do we say, interjected or put into places that they really weren't supposed to be using that same aircraft that they could, uh, they could jump. They could jump from that aircraft from that from that rear staircase. So, like the Democratic National Convention. <laughs> there you go. There. there you go. The CIA or Cambodia, or like, oh, so, <laughs> oh, those other places. Yeah, those other places that the, the other CIA, enemies that we weren't there, but we were there. For yes. more information on that, check out our episodes on MK Ultra and the Bay of Pigs. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, that, I, our numbers went down after we started covering that because I think we started to get slightly censored. But that's neither here nor there. This conspiracy has plenty for everybody to sink their teeth into. Um, he will wind up later, Dan Cooper, lowering that very same exit in those aft staircase uh, by himself. Now, the pilots told him that they would require an additional fuel stop on the way down to Mexico City. So the decision was made that we'll make a little stop over in Reno, right? Go see Lieutenant Dangle in the greatest voice. little city in the world. <laughs> yeah. And another little interesting tidbit You're is full well, of those today, aren't you? Yeah, guy? I am. Hey, uh, I did my homework. What can I tell you? Um, while he's uh, still up in Seattle and being refueled, it's taking longer than it really should because one of the fuel trucks that they pulled up had a vapor lock. And he even, um, Cooper even got a little upset over that. This has taken too long. You guys should have been totally refueled by now. And then it was explained to him about the vapor lock. And again, this aircraft, this 727, had a, a unique situation where one fuel hose could go into the plane and refuel all the fuel tanks at, at one time. So it wasn't multiple hoses and all that kind of stuff. So it should have been it should have been an in and out situation. And you know, let's get the hell out of here. And let's get airborne. But then he was getting a little antsy when it was taking longer than than it should have. But guy knows his well, shit. So yeah, he's uh, you know it gives a little more credence to that. This isn't his first flight on a 727. He's not just making shit up like the creators of American Loser. That's it. He's playing this out. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Well, the uh, the flight to Reno is now underway by 7.40 p.m. that night and unaware to Cooper, who seems to be very, very much aware of everything that's going on around him. And kind of like you just hinted at, LP, with the whole uh, CIA and maybe being some places, but being close enough to see what's going on, but not close enough to be seen. 
there's two military planes that are remaining out of sight, but following the skyjacked Northwest Airline flight. It is up to, the, we still don't know if Cooper ever even figured this out. It remains a mystery to this day as to so much of the goddamn case. But uh, by 8 p.m. that night, the flight crew, all now four step into the cockpit, saw a warning light pop up that Cooper had deployed the aft air stair as he had argued with the tower about earlier. So what do they do? Very pleasantly, uh, Mr. Cooper, sir, uh, over the intercom, of course. Uh, would you like us to come back there and assist you with this? And they are very politely but flatly told, no, no, thank you. I've got everything under control over here. And that is the last record anybody has of any communication with Dan Cooper. That's it. Right. right. His flat, brusque reply was, you know, can we help you? No. Nope. That's the last communication <laughs> they had with Mr. Dan Cooper. Yeah, but uh, Northwest, Northwest always said customer service is number one. That's, that's right. <laughs> so they were just trying their best to make sure that he had a pleasant experience. I just like that the guys got a bomb, uh, and yet the the dedicated crew of Northwest is still offering assistance. These are the friendly skies. Okay, yeah, that's, that's what it. you want. <laughs> that's friend. it. They're professionals. Now that happens at eight p.m. All right. Now with the aft door of the plane open at eight thirteen p.m. There's a very heavy kind of a bump feeling that causes weird upward movement. How would you describe that, Dad? It was just, yeah, a change in altitude. It, um, it, like, like you're saying, is a bump that they had to uh, trim. They had to um, um, change course, if you will, so slightly, like you a slight a, adjustment yeah. in course. You drive up a mountain or something like that, your ears start to pop. That's kind of what the pilots were both mm-hmm. describing. They were saying, oh, there was like a, we could feel it, that there was a change in altitude kind of a thing. So... And they're also, by the way, they're off autopilot right now because in order to fly at that altitude and at that speed to prevent the plane from stalling, to figure everything out, the pilot's actually manually flying the plane right now. And this is going to become crucial to this part of the story. This is at 8.13, so that's 13 minutes later. Uh, now, a few hours later, it's like at 10.24 that night, this plane, Northwest Airline, Flight 305, what do you think happened to it, Kahuna? Got a bomb on it somewhere, flying over the woods. It landed. <laughs> sure did, buddy. Yeah, Sky it didn't goes. go off the radar. Well, uh, again, a few hours later, this plane lands safely in a little place called Reno. Like we said, the place uh, immediately the plane gets surrounded by law enforcement authorities. By the way, a joint task force, if you will, BRFJ, FBI agents, uh, local sheriffs, state troopers, and local authorities all descending upon it all at once. So, so Reno 911. Pretty much dangles there. <laughs> Lieutenant Dangle. You guys want to see the plane my dad got me for my birthday? <laughs> But following a very intense armed search, so guns are out, man. This guy's got a fucking bomb on the plane. We're mm-hmm. taking care of They get the crew out of there. But nobody's harmed, right? Nobody's harmed. But now this very strange conclusion is about to be arrived at. Dan Cooper is no longer on board this plane. Right. Where'd he go? Nobody seems to know here. And this is where we go into one of the largest and most expensive manhunts in American history is about to be underway here. The most likely story, though, uh, it, it's as crazy as it sounds. What were the immediate theories they were coming to, Rich? We have to assume that he uh, spontaneously combusted. That's it. Um, <laughs> That's it. In Except there's little fragments of bow tie that seem to be left over. Except everything but the bow tie. Um. Yeah, obviously you gotta you gotta figure that when that door opened and he asked for parachutes, he could have jumped right then and there. Yeah, that was a brilliant piece of police work. Yeah, I think yeah, that we put it this guy's asking for. <laughs> Parachutes, money, and, you know, to fly at a certain altitude at a certain airspeed that, you know, because the fear was that he was going to take either one of the crew or one right. of the passengers uh, with him and hold uh, somebody as as hostage. 
as it turns out, there was only one parachute missing from uh, from the four. To quote the great Kid Rock, D.B. Cooper and the money he took. That's it. Right. The money he's took. Yeah, but obviously you got to ask for more uh, parachutes. Or else if you ask for one, right. they're going to know it's just for you. And right. I would cut it. And, and if you knew he was going to default all the time. <laughs> and if you knew that this was going to be the move the entire time, that at some point you were going to take the dive off the plane with the parachute on you, and they do report having seen him tie the knapsack to himself. Mm-hmm. Okay, so people are popping their head out, you know, looking through the cockpit and stuff. The um, knapsack of the money. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, he's yeah. strapping the money to himself. He's got a parachute back there. They're all freaking out. Like, there's enough parachutes for all of us. You know, they're doing, it's almost like a, a, a priest and a rabbi joke. You know, there's not enough parachutes for everybody. That kind of a joke. <laughs> but uh, was that all a distraction because he knew he was going to wind up making this move? Was Mexico actually where he wanted to go? Or was this the plan all along? He's, he's that good at throwing off the authorities. Because... Again, this is the largest and most expensive manhunt for the time that's underway here. And it's pretty wild because they concluded, as uh, as Big Rich just displayed, using a a theory known as Occam's Razor, where it's the least amount of uh, assumptions you have to jump to is the correct thing. It was Um, tough to get there, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I did did use a pencil. Yeah, always do it in pencil. That way you can erase it if you screw up. The most likely story being, though, is that he ties this money bag to his body and then grabs a primary and a reserve parachute Cooper will then lower the air stair on the aft of the plane and jumps off. Testing this theory by reenactment, scientists had a 200-pound like dummy that they did. Uh, they did the same thing with that by lowering the air stair and jumping off with that 200-pound um, dummy. It did pop the stairs back up on the plane, which might have been that responsible for that change right. out that felt it, that, that, that bump that the they felt at eight o'clock. Yeah, yeah. 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 So. Now, if they know that, that that's when he made the jump, then you got to figure out what's the next thing. We're going to be like, oh, well, what time was the, you know, what time we feel that change in altitude? Now, where were we on the map? Right. Right. So they're starting to do that. The authorities are being as smart as they can with this. And they think like, oh, cool, we're going to find this guy now. Now we just got to figure out what the area could be. But there's a lot of variables at play. So have you ever been skydiving before? Yes. Okay. Now you, you did a tandem jump? Okay, so they don't let you pull your shit, right? No, they just assume that you might freeze up there. So they're going to trust <laughs> the professionals <laughs> to actually pull. Um, well, they'll let you pull, but obviously they're there to make sure you do it. Now, because this is the part that I think pretty much found fascinating. So like you said earlier, Dad, a military shoot is going to deploy on its own. Right, yeah. Right, that's like for a parachute. Static line, yep. Right. Pulling your own uh, jump cord allows you to control how long you free fall, which can also control exactly how much further you can travel. Because as soon as you pull that cord, I mean, it's an abrupt stop, and then it's kind of because you're free falling and then. Yeah, you're free falling. Let's say like 120 miles an hour, but it feels like you're floating. But obviously, you're you're traveling towards the earth. But once that that cord is pulled, it it's like a sudden stop. Like that parachute goes straight up your your man man area um but it's like hitting the brakes going 100 miles an hour right shit okay so you feel it so the, as soon as he pulls that cord that's going to change the pattern of dispersal if you will it's going to be that much shortened or uh, or lessened i should say uh nick franco will tell me what the right way to say that was um but it's uh it's one of those wild things where uh because of that crazy time in free fall they're like well this square miles that we have to cover it's fucking huge now. Right. It's very huge and it's and it's primarily wilderness. And you know, how long did he wait before he pulled the ripcord? Uh and what were the what was the wind direction when he jumped out of the plane? Because that's gonna cause you to drift one way or yeah. the other. And so it, it was a windy night, right? right it wasn't right, it rain also right. 
rainstorms <clears throat> going through that area? It was heavy rainstorms, correct. Yeah. And also, yes. uh, Cooper was a Libra, too, which throws everything into chaos. <laughs> oh, my Lord. <laughs> and yeah, supposedly, was... Mercury was in retrograde. <laughs> so, I don't know where this guy ended up. Well, but at the same time, there was uh, numerous accounts of uh, Royal uh, Air Force, you know, um, British um, pilots from the Second World War who pretty much did the same thing, jump, jump from that 10,000-foot altitude in those kinds of conditions and survive. So it, it wasn't like a, a rare thing that this has already been proven that, yeah, a human being can jump from an airplane going at, what, 120 miles an hour at 10,000 feet and still survive. So and we've covered it on here before, too. The FBI, as fascinating as they are, there's also sometimes when they have to have a case end, at least officially, so there's no egg on their face, right? So if it was maybe a gunfight, like with the Ma Barker episode, it has to end a certain way. Otherwise, the FBI looks back. Oh, no, we, so maybe we'll plant some extra weapons here, make something look this way. Because we've got to keep things on. That the doesn't happen, though. They're rich in the police What is he talking, talking about? about? <laughs> yeah. It's called uh, The Shield. It was on FX. Seven seasons, <laughs> okay. magnificent television. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, plant plant a, a gun or plant drugs on somebody and then say that it was a righteous shoot? MKUltra. <laughs> now, the pilot's recollection is, uh, unfortunately, that's something that's going to come into question, too, because like we said, he's manually flying this plane. So now they don't have exactly, you know, the navigation's thrown off a little bit. Also, as good at their jobs as these guys probably are, like Kahuna's a good sound engineer. How many fuck-ups do you think he's going to have on an episode, when we open up a suitcase and tell them everything better be perfect, or we go bye bye. <laughs> right, there's a little pressure. A little yeah. pressure. There's there's gonna be some testing of the ones and twos back there. Maybe an aux cable falls out every now and then. <laughs> yeah, they gotta be stressed the hell out. Oh, yeah, you're flying you know? up there. This guy already showed someone a bomb. Um, you know, take me to Mexico, and right. it's just you and your you know your co-pilots, and you have no idea this is gonna end. Well, so now the pilot's memory is a little bit suspect here. Well, he's also drunk. Yeah. Come on, there's bourbon and cokes flying around the whole airplane. We're actually out of bourbon and soda, sir. The pilot's just finished it. <laughs> That's right. But the investigation, uh, it's going to be flawed because people are having maybe uh, not the, the sharpest memories of what's going on with it. There's that crazy variable of where can he actually land? What's the scare, uh, square mileage on this thing? Mm -hmm. They were kind of caught with their pants down to begin with. And also, as you alluded to, Dad, the media is covering because the first person that they're investigating goes, oh, a guy named Dan Cooper uh, just took this plane over. That's the name that we're getting from the tower. So what do they do? They go out and they find this guy who's like a local con who was named D.B. Cooper. And they're saying, yeah, uh, D.B. Cooper, uh, maybe it's the same guy. It's like an alias that he uses when he pulls these crimes or something. And this poor fucking guy, D.B. Cooper, just living his life. All right. Now, you guys know people on the show. We're going to reveal it here just because it's a great joke. Um, the big kahuna is a great human being, right? And uh, but what if there was, what if there was a, a killer out there that happened to have a name? Uh, you know, he was a, a Kahuna Grande or something like that. And the media <laughs> screwed it up, and we started having to talk about this Kahuna Grande guy as a serial killer. And all of a sudden, it's the big Kahuna murders of you know the summer of twenty twenty one. Yeah, yeah, that's the story. Are we going to ruin your life back there, buddy? Maybe. I think that that would ruin your life. Yeah, that would that would kind of suck. Now, <laughs> imagine right. being DB Cooper, and the whole world is trying to figure out where you are. And you're like, I'm right here. You're looking for Dan, you fuckers. All right, it's Dan Cooper. <laughs> In their defense, um, you know, they had a crime going on and, oh, his name was Dan Cooper. They went to the Yellow Pages mm -hmm. and started looking up Dan <laughs> right, Cooper. Right, right. What do you want him to do, KP? It's right. really that simple, unfortunately. Jesus. Didn't have LinkedIn. You could check no, the guy no, out. Or anything, so. But listen, you go to those Yellow Pages. There were 17 Dan Coopers in uh, the tri-state area. Well, when do you want to think, because uh, by the way, up to 
right now, which is June of 2021, they are still accepting evidence or reports on, you know, to try to link them to solving this case, if you will. The active investigation got suspended. Did you pick up on when that the FBI no longer had an active investigation going on it? Oh, was that a... It was a big year, man. It was a big, big year. year for me? Recently, yeah. It was 2016. That's how recently oh, wow. they just now suspended the, the manhunt. Not the manhunt, but the active investigation. The active for investigation, yeah. So we have a list of a couple of primary suspects that my father and I are going to start running through here in a second. But BRFJ, anything else you had? Because I know you got notes, buddy. We like when the guests have notes. We want them to shine. No, no, I'm just drawing uh, an updated version of the Dan Cooper picture. <laughs> and it happens to look exactly like KP Burke. Um, <laughs> Which is strange. It's strange. Because now they describe this guy, Wait, this Dan I, Cooper. Can I, can I see that picture? Yo, he looks a lot like Christian Cordes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, interestingly enough, uh, good old DB is described as a middle-aged man who is a pleasant guy, but probably around 200 pounds, like they were saying. And I believe his height was what, built like 5'10 or something five, like ten. that? Yeah, see, that's where I'm off. I'm 5'9", so completely uh, ridiculous. I okay. know, but that, a lot of it came from the uh, the two stewardesses who were shorter than him, uh, so you might have looked 5'10". That's true. It's, uh, I mean, what's a good pair of work boots do other than make you 5'10", too, right? Lifts. He's got lifts in his boots. And he's wearing this little suit, right? He's got his cute little suit on with his dress shoes and his attache case. This yeah, is- he was well-dressed and he had uh, a, uh, a black tie. And uh, actually, from the three major pieces of evidence that were found on the plane, once they landed in Reno and the you know they stormed the plane and made sure there was no bomb left or anything else, the three major pieces was his black clip-on tie. So it's a clip-on. It's a, it's a clip-on. Thank God it was a clip-on because imagine it was, he hung himself while he was trying to escape the yeah. plane. And a mother-of-pearl tie clip. And there was also eight filter-tipped Raleigh cigarette butts. Uh, unfortunately, the police somehow lost the uh, cigarette butts. So by today's standards, we probably could have done a uh, DNA uh, sampling off the cigarette butts. And they butts. still try. They try to do DNA testing off the uh, tie clip. The tie clip, right. Yeah. yeah. They hit on a couple of things, but you're also – the stuff you're comparing it to might have been from 1971 as well. Exactly. And if they're even if they're well-funded, because you could be dealing with you – know, I know my time in the military, we're like, oh, this is state-of-the-art about eight years ago. <laughs> right, right. Right. And and with that, even with the DNA, I don't think they were really sure that it was. You don't know it's him. The uh, whether it's him or not, or somebody else's DNA that happened to be holding on to that same well, the tie clip. Or drawings whatever. that are about to come out too are interesting because Rich is joking about those, but cause it's an interesting look the guy has here. And then um, one of the other ones that's great too is it almost like the Unabomber who will come you know many years after. Uh, the composite drawing has him with the very dark sunglasses on. So he kind of just looks like there's almost a James Bond kind of a vibe mm-hmm. to him. I would picture uh, Mr. Pink from Reservoir Dogs as uh, as our DB. Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not, that's not bad. Pink. Yeah. But uh, so this will be who I tell drawing. you to be. <laughs> <laughs> they're moving ahead. They're, uh, they're trying to figure out, well, we got a composite drawing here. They're going to put together a list of suspects. My father and I now, and Rich, jump in whenever you have info, because I know you got stuff here, dude. Um, we want to jump in. We're going to present to you guys, and Judge Kahuna is going to preside over who he thinks is somebody worth following up dum, on dum, dum, dum. in terms of these suspects we're going to go ahead and present. So uh, you made the joke earlier, BRFJ, but maybe the guy does look a little bit like me if there was some beautiful curly blonde hair on his head. Um, but there wasn't. But this guy's name is Kenneth Peter Christensen, Dad. So there is a KP actively under investigation. <laughs> We yeah, call this a clue. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a clue, but there was a number of different I mean theories, and over the years, 
from those, you know, filter tip cigarettes to the tie clip to the uh, um, clip on tie, mm-hmm. they were able to uh, put up 60, 60 volumes of, of records in their 45 year investigation oh, into geez. whatever happened to D.B. Cooper. Now, so, how big is one volume? Well, who the heck knows? Um, I mean, like, like a thick book of just like, I, possibilities. That's, that's what I'm envisioning. Yeah. That's what I'm seeing too. That's ridiculous. Because they had well over a, th- a thousand different people that were investigated as oh. potential suspects for uh, Mr. D.B. Cooper. But this one guy, uh, Kenneth Peter Christensen, uh, he made a he made a splash when uh, his uh, late brother was convinced after watching some TV documentary, uh, his brother sees this story of D.B. Cooper and the great hijacking. And uh, he's saying, you know what? That sounds really suspicious. That that could have been my brother who has <laughs> now died. But at the same time, uh, you know, um, his brother, Kenneth. Uh, enlisted, in, enlisted in the army in 1944 and was trained as a paratrooper. Um, so a couple you know, he like had that. he had a lot of uh, he had a lot of possibilities linked into into Mr. Uh, Kenneth Christian uh, Christensen. Um, and in, there's there's arguments back and forth because some people say, well, he, he must have been a, a trained paratrooper or at least familiar with it or with the aircraft or a, a a loader, in other words, putting um, cargo onto a plane because they're also familiar with the car, with the planes, and mm-hmm. and how to jump out of a plane in case something went wrong when you're offloading the cargo. Um, but at the same time, when they offered him military parachutes, he turned those down. And he wanted civilian parachutes, right. and then the civilian parachute that he used, he didn't know it, but the reserve chute was sewn shut. And any trained paratrooper, you're gonna you're gonna check your chute before you. Yeah, that's go lesson number one, right? On. Right, right, right. Who's who's packing my parachute they here? Need to pack your own parachute for that reason. Yeah, right? Right. make sure right. you're paying attention. Oh, right. what you want to know. <laughs> so who's packing your parachute? Well, obviously, uh, whoever DB Cooper really was, he wasn't checking his parachute, and then somebody that was trained in that would have known better. Um, but yeah, that was that was one guy that uh, came up, and you know. It's your K.P. Christensen. Christensen, yeah. yeah K, uh, Kenneth Christensen um, smoked just as the hijacker did. He had a particular fondness for bourbon, the same drink that Cooper requested. <laughs> um, you know, there's also a uh, photos of uh, Cooper's black tie and his uh, tie clip that was very suggested to um, to this Christian guy to the way the tie was tied as a, as a left-hander kind of a thing. So it was a lot of uh, circumstantial type stuff. But, um, so, you know, yeah, whether his brother was looking to, for his brief claim to flame, that was my brother. That right, did yeah, this, after know, he's dead all of a sudden, 40 right. years later. Right. Hey, right. the most famous criminal in America. Right. That might have been my brother. Right. Right. Yeah, you didn't think two. of that before. And Did that was the in two, of it? that was in 2003. Right. When when uh, Christensen was first put up as a possible uh, possible subject. And he's maybe a little smaller and a little lighter, but who the frick knows, you know. That, uh, and again, you're talking about witnesses who put up this police sketch. Right. Um and you know, anybody involved with police work will know that you get 
six different witnesses. They're going to give you six different, different uh, six different testimonies and, as to yeah, yeah. what especially, the guy actually looked like. Yeah, especially when um, people are you know in fear and they're not thinking straight. Um, those 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 witness recollections. You know, somebody could be six foot. They look like they're six five when a person's scared. Uh, the accuracy can get skewed. Good oh point. yeah, um, you know that that guy who's only one hundred fifty pounds to us, but when he showed the girl a bomb, all of a sudden he looks <laughs> like right. like a yeah, giant. He was you know? a giant, right? Yeah, he's two hundred pounds. He was he was this. Yeah, yeah it's like yeah. right after my set. If I have a really good set on stage that night, uh, most girls they forget I'm twenty pounds heavier than I'm supposed to be. Yeah, all of a sudden they're like, that KP, he's five ten and only one forty. <laughs> Did you get into the uh, the forensics, the money side of the thing with uh, Christensen? Because this was fascinating. No, I didn't. I didn't. Brad Meltzer of Da Vinci Code fame had a show called Decoded on the History Channel. Yeah. In which they had some of the active investigations going on for this. Very, very interesting little notes here is that uh, Kenneth Peter Christensen, an employee of Northwest Airline, right? He actually had, um, I believe it was, uh, again, paratrooper training, like you said, and everything too. He was making 500 something bucks a month at the airline. He was a disgruntled employee because all the strikes that were going on all the time. And then he winds up all of a sudden shortly thereafter. They said that he wore a toupee leading up till about 1971. And then after the D.B. Cooper incident, he never wore a toupee again. So it's another interesting thing that threw everybody off. And then also a guy who was making 500 bucks a month somehow has like $15,000 to buy himself his own house after this. And then also has $6,000 to give to his sister for her to buy her house. Yeah. And this is the same guy that's making uh, $512 a month uh, that all of a sudden he's got extra coin to be thrown around to family yeah, and friends. So bad there. <laughs> yeah. yeah so. Mouth shut though. So, yeah. so that is for uh, submitted for your approval. Judge Kahuna. That is Kenneth Peter Christensen. So suspect number one is K. Pate. That's it. That's it. For your uh, submitted for your approval here. Number two, Jack Kofelt. Kofelt. K-O-F-F-E-L-T. An ex-con, a criminal informant, and a con man that began claiming he was D.B. Cooper in 1972, less than a year after the incident. With the help... One more time, what was his name? Jack Kofelt. All right. Uh, with the help of his old prison cellmate. Yeah, that's right. His old prison cellmate. You know you can trust it when it's two prisoners that used to live together. Mm -hmm. uh, he begins trying to sell his story that he's D.B. Cooper to a Hollywood production company. Hey, guys, I'm D.B. Cooper. You want the rights to my life story? I got them right here for you. I'll sign them right away. Investigators will find that Kofelt was near Portland the day of the incident, bore a striking resemblance to the police composite sketches of Mr. Cooper, and that he had bad leg injuries concurrent with a skydiving accident. Kofelt died in 1975, and the FBI has since rejected him as a legitimate suspect. So that could have been a guy, you know, not an I'm Spartacus moment, but he's definitely like, oh, yeah, I'm the guy you're all looking for. Oh, yeah, I'm the one with the scoop. Come see me, all right? Your little 15 minutes of fame. But that is mm, submitted for your oh. approval here. Now, uh, BRFJ, there's a couple other ones on here. I think. In my head, I, I want, I'm curious what you think is the, the person that they're the closest to. Because we had a conversation on the car ride down where you said something pretty interesting. I was pretty drunk for that. Uh oh. <laughs> it was scary because he was driving. <laughs> knowledge. I was driving, but I had my bourbon and sodas. smoking smoking his Raleigh cigarettes. <laughs> but there's some good stuff. Now, the next one, Dad, is uh, Lynn Doyle Cooper. Yeah, now, th th this kind of throws us into um, some of the amateur investigations. I mean, the FBI has been looking for this guy since 71. And then there was uh, um, some amateurs that got involved with that. And uh, they were amateur investigators, amateur investigators. Right. Um, but they did a whole lot of uh, this is years later. Now they're doing um, with the FBI's permission 
uh, electron microscope analysis of the of the clip-on tie and the tie clip and everything else, and they're finding trace elements. Um, they had a metallurgist that is identifying that there's trace amounts of aluminum and some other stuff. And uh, so then there's speculation that this guy might have worked in that whole Seattle area. That's why he was familiar with the airport and the Air Force Base and everything else. Um, but this Lynn Doyle Cooper is a veteran. He's a Korean War veteran. And again, this is years later now. His There's a, this whole idea that um, his niece puts forth that as an eight-year-old, she recalled her Lynn Doyle Cooper um, and another uncle were planning something very uh, mischievous. And um, they had very expensive walkie-talkies, and they were going to go out supposedly to go turkey hunting the next day. Now, this was that same Thanksgiving weekend. Keep in mind, folks, this thing took place on Thanksgiving Eve. So you got a four-day four day weekend right. coming up um, to pull this whole thing off. Biggest bar night of the year. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Which is why most of the FBI wasn't at work. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's brilliant. <laughs> Makes sense to me. But uh, her, her uncle supposedly went out to go turkey hunting that weekend. And then uh, her one uncle, Lynn Doyle Cooper, comes back home wearing a bloody shirt. And he's saying it was from an auto accident. And later she said her parents came to believe that L.D. Cooper was the hijacker. And L.D. Cooper was a big comic book fan, a specific Canadian comic book. Ah, here we go. Uh, here and we this, go. Is, this is another one of these theories that Dan Cooper is a comic book hero. Um, but the comic book that he appears in is really a French and Belgium publication. And it wasn't available in the United States, but it was available in Canada. And one of the um, witnesses said that this Dan Cooper that bought the ticket and, you know, passed the note about the bomb was very plain spoken, didn't really have any notable accent. So he didn't have the Canadian A uh, going on him. But uh, this Lynn Doyle Cooper was a huge Dan Cooper comic book fame uh, fan and actually had his comic books thumbtacked up onto his wall and everything else. So uh, there was just a lot of, you know, again, coincidental uh, type of stuff going on there. And um, some of the evidence that they found through electron microscope on the tie and the, and the tie tack, um, this guy also worked in an industry that, he might have come into contact with that type of a thing. And being he's wearing a tie, he's probably a middle, middle management kind of a guy. Nerd. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so he's not right down in there, but he's certainly in an environment where his tie and his tie tack might have accumulated some of this microscopic uh, evidence, if you will, on, so uh, now, on the tie clip. That's Lynn Doyle Cooper. Lynn right? Doyle Anything Cooper. else on him before we go to the no, next one? Go, go for it. All right. No, but you do I remember that. That witness, you know, his niece was eight years old, you know, remembering him going out for that stuff. Right. Um, you know, if my niece, when she was eight, remembered every time I came home drunk and bloody, I might be the suspect for certain <laughs> things as well. That's right. <laughs> well, uh, Kahuna, you might be noticing a lot of straight white males in this lineup, all right? It needs a little diversity. 
I'm here to give it to you, folks. All right. Finally, KP. Your <laughs> yeah, next, really. your next suspect, if you will, Judge Kahuna, is uh, Barbara Dayton. That's right, Barbara. Because mm. women can be domestic terrorists too. Okay, girls, break the glass ceiling with a bomb in a suitcase. Do it however you got to do it. But she's a female pilot and a librarian from the University of Washington, and she claims to have staged the entire hijacking dressed as a man in order to get revenge on Northwest Airlines for not allowing her to become an airline pilot as a female. All right. Feminism, mm. toxic femininity. <laughs> she Finally. winds up she winds up recanting the entire claim before her death in 2002. The reason why she recants her claim cuz they said, "Oh, I mean, if this really is you, then there's hijacking charges we got to, you know, press against you." Oh, no, 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 no. I'm just, you know, I was just I just want to be an example. I just want to start the conversation, you know? I just want to put it out there. I just want girls to be able to look up and see you can do anything you put your mind to. <laughs> I see her point that, you know, society needs to realize it could have been a woman. Sky <laughs> Why not a plane. woman? That's you know, right. Just to assume that white men are the only people who can skyjack planes. I think you're profiling there that, uh, you know, to say that it was a white male that uh, was the hijacker. I mean, all the sketches do look like Jim Norton a little bit. So we kind of got to play that <laughs> one. <laughs> uh, Norma, Norma Ray Dayton could have been our. No. Uh, you're right on that one, man. But that's Barbara Dayton submitted for you. Uh, it's Barbara Dayton, right? Norma Ray Dayton. Barbara. Norma Barbara. is my nickname for her. <laughs> <laughs> Making sure I had it right, but submitted for your approval, Judge Kahuna. Next up is a guy by the name of William Gossett. Lawrence Patrick, take us away. Uh, another another suspect that uh, was investigated, and uh, he was a former, he was in the Marine Corps, he was in the Army, he was in the Army Air Forces, he's a veteran that served uh, in Korea and in Vietnam, so he's got an extensive uh, military experience, advanced jump training, and wilderness survival. So if you're jumping out of an airplane at a high altitude into the into the wilderness of the Northwest, uh, this might be your guy. And then he, after he got out of the military, he was an ROTC instructor and taught uh, military law and uh, hosted a, a radio talk show, so early podcaster, um, and was... Um, known to be obsessed with this um, D.B. Cooper hijacking and amassed uh, a huge collection of D.B. Cooper-related news articles and everything else. And then uh, later in life, near the near the end of his term, if you will, he supposedly uh, confessed to being the the one and the, the only uh, D.B. Cooper himself. Um, so... You know that that kind of a thing. Gossett, he he also um, this guy William Gossett also changed his name to Wolfgang and became a Roman Catholic priest. So I mean, this, this guy was a wow. real he was a real sketch. So you're attracting going, the mentally ill quite a bit here. If you guys are paying attention, so you're going from the Marine Corps to the Army to the Army Air Force to uh, you know the Roman Catholic priest. Uh, um, he uh, he had quite the, quite the effort to disguise his identity. It's a resume. Uh, if, if he was that. So, yeah. That was uh, Louis Gossett Jr. William, I'm sorry, William, William Gossett. Gossett. <laughs> um, next up is a guy by the name of Robert Lepsey. For your approval here, Judge Kahuna. He is a married father of four that disappeared without a trace back in 1969. And he is seen to have some resemblances, if you will, in both appearance and attire to Dan Cooper. All right, he was a grocery store clerk whose attire looked remarkably similar to the suit that good old Dan Cooper pulled this off in. Um, now, his children that he abandoned are the ones who are looking for him. So there's a little bit of a, are you my dad? There's a little bit of that going on over here. Now, he was declared legally dead in 1976 
and his daughter, his biological daughter, did present some DNA testing that has been done, but those results not made public yet. So could this be our guy here? This guy's dead. <laughs> Take him off the list then. <laughs> yeah, quite dead. <laughs> Mostly dead. You said list. And that leads us to the next one, Dad. Yeah, Kahuna, Mr. you got to like this list. guy. Yeah, this guy's got to come up, bubble up to the top here just for uh, hometown pride. Uh, John List uh, was an accountant, uh, World War II and Korean War veteran uh, who just happened to murder his wife and three teenage children and his 85-year-old mother in... Da, 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 drum roll, Westfield, New Jersey. Hey, so Jersey. we got hey, one of our own. <laughs> I'm New Jersey. Jersey. Yeah, there's a New Jersey connection. So he offs uh, his wife and three kids and his 85 year old mother 15 days before the Cooper hijacking, withdrew $200,000, same kind of money there from his mother's bank account and disappeared. He came to the attention of the uh, Cooper task force. Uh, due to the timing of his disappearance, uh, multiple matches to the hijacker's description, and uh, reasoning that a fugitive accused of a mass murder, he's got nothing to lose. So let's yeah. let's see if we <laughs> let's see if we can grab another two hundred k and jump out of an airplane and see how that goes. <laughs> um, but uh, he was kind of ruled out later on that uh, you know whatever evidence that, that they could come up against with this guy was all. Because they're good uh, at narrowing the field, but, at least yeah. from what they're looking at up front. Yeah. Keep going, though. Uh, but he's no longer, he was no longer considered a suspect by the FBI. He happened to die in prison in 2008. So, But we got to have one, one of our own, New Jersey's own, Westfield, New Jersey. So if you're thinking, uh, if you're leaning towards that hometown pride, uh, Cajones, <laughs> John List is your man. Yeah, I don't, I don't buy him because uh, when they did catch him finally, he admits, you know, to all the murders. He murdered his own children. Um, but the, but he denies being Cooper. Now, really? wouldn't you be like, well, I'm in jail for the rest of my life. I am the coolest criminal in the world. Right <laughs> That's now. right. Yeah, because uh, I would take DB Cooper. I would take pride in that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I'd be like, nah, I didn't do that. I one. actually know of John List. They did an episode of him on a show called uh, Your Worst Nightmare on Netflix. That was actually kind of crazy. No shit. So that, that so if you ever want to check out that full case, go check out that episode on uh, Netflix. No, but. He didn't do it. I don't see him doing it. I, he admitted it. Not him. Nice guy. We, we, he's from he's Jersey, nice so we can vouch for him. I don't think he did it. He's from Westfield, man. It's, it's all good. Where'd you get all this money? I got a plane for crops. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, next submitted for your approval, and that is the heavy sounds of a terrible rainstorm brewing through Eatontown, New Jersey, to share it in a podcast studio where Mike and Ming take great care of us. This next guy, he takes great care of people. Ted Mayfield, quarterback of the Cleveland Browns. I'm sorry, that is Baker. <laughs> Baker. My mistake, Baker. folks. Um, Ted Mayfield is ruled out as a suspect very quickly, which is strange because he fits the profile, is a former Special Forces member, a highly trained pilot, and had a long history of working with parachutes. In fact, he even faced charges on two of the 15 in total deaths from students of his at his skydiving school Jesus. that he they charged him with negligent homicide he served time in the 2000s for this so that's two uh, two i think he only served time for two of the 15 total deaths that he had at his school 15. so yeah at skydiving and imagine being the one that says uh this workplace has had this many days since an incident yeah. and just every time ted comes in like set it to zero ted's here <laughs> right. reset the clock butterfingers Jesus. mayfield is here different kind of butterfingers <laughs> 
<laughs> oh man once you lose like nine or ten skydivers on your watch then you gotta be like i don't know if this is the job for me <laughs> why right, does uh, right. why does instructor ted have uh, uh x's on the side of his helmet for? <laughs> right. what are they for how many how many japanese planes have you taken down? where are those teardrops on his face <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, they wind up. Uh, oh, by the way, another couple things on good old Ted Mayfield's uh, resume here: armed robbery and also the transportation of a stolen aircraft. Authorities rule him out very, very quickly because they say he was involved with helping them search for Cooper. But new evidence from 2006 suggests Mayfield might have been ruled out a little bit too quickly. Is that true, BRFJ? I would, I, uh, I would have ruled him out right away. Right away. Right away. Because they say that he, the time that he was making phone calls, there's no way, oh, D, the real D.B. Cooper never could have gotten to a phone here. There, That's been called suspect now. Right. And then they're also saying that him being involved in the investigation meant that he could kind of point them in certain, oh, he's giving them information that they're then you're creating their search parameters with. So is he involved in order to throw them off his own trail? Yeah, which, I mean, obviously you, you hear that, you know, people that commit crimes will suddenly show up on the crime scene, will volunteer to be part of things. Ooh. It happens. Uh, it happens a lot. But we do have to remember this was one of the largest searches ever. True. So literally hundreds, if not thousands of people were involved in um in multiple, I mean, they, they searched for like 40 something days in oh, the yeah. spring. Some 200 uh, active duty army soldiers were brought in too. So yeah, they're combing. I mean, it's literally like uh, First Blood with Stallone, just looking all over for him. They're combing the desert baseball styles. You find anything yet? <laughs> we didn't find shit. <laughs> uh, I mean, they're looking for hundreds of square miles. And, you know, I, I don't think him showing up would have made a difference in uh, pointing them in the wrong direction if he was involved. True. Stop being logical. This is a fun conspiracy Sorry. for us. <laughs> we'll never know, though, because Mayfield dies in 2015. All right. So we'll never even know on that one here. Sets us up for our next one, Judge Kahuna. Richard McCoy Jr. Lawrence Patrick, the real, away. The real McCoy Jr. Yeah. Now, here's another guy. He was an Army veteran, served two tours of duty in Vietnam. He was a demolition expert uh, later with the Green Berets as a helicopter pilot. A lot of special forces so, guys. So yeah, in there. he he definitely. And then uh, later on, he becomes a uh, an avid recreational skydiver with aspirations to becoming a Utah State Trooper. So uh, you know, he's I think he's got high aspirations. But uh, what's interesting for this guy Richard McCoy is that. In April 1972, so you're basically a little less than a year away from the original uh, skyjacking. He's uh, best known as the so-called copycat that he boards a United Airlines flight, another Boeing 727 with the aft stairs, same kind of a deal, and brandishing what proved to be a paperweight resembling a hand grenade. Uh, and he demands four parachutes. Only this time he's up in the ante to five hundred thousand dollars. Never mind due to inflation. Well, yeah. it's only a year later, but hey, if, if you got two, you got, if you're willing for two hundred, well, let's Shit. see if we can go to four. Um, after delivery of the money in the parachutes, uh, he's ordered the aircraft back into the sky and bailed out over uh, Provo, Utah, leaving behind his handwritten instructions and fingerprints on a magazine he'd been reading. So anyhow, they find this guy. Um, Later, two years later, he escapes from the federal penitentiary, crashing the gate with a garbage truck. And this, this guy is a real sketch. Um, and although there's no reasonable doubt that McCoy uh, committed the uh, – there's no doubt that he did commit this Denver hijacking, um, they don't consider him to be the D.B. Cooper 
of the original hijacking because of uh, his sky level, his skydiving level skills were far above the uh, the hijacker. Incredible evidence re, re, uh, reveals that um, he was in Las Vegas the day of the Portland hijacking, and he was at home in Utah the day after having Thanksgiving dinner. So <laughs> can't be in eight different places at the same time. Yeah, the so. real D.B. Cooper is just pulling like little chunks of, you know, northwest pine trees out of his ass during Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> yeah. right, right. Uh, turkey, good. It's a hard landing. That was Richard McCoy Jr., all right? Uh, next up is Sheridan Peterson. This one's your favorite, isn't it, BRFJ? This one, he's my favorite here. He, uh, he's definitely a favorite. The next one is actually, there's a couple more that are great, but uh, Sheridan Peterson is a Marine veteran of the Second World War and a, a smoke jumper. That's the crazy guys who jump into forest fires to put them out. Okay, pretty wild stuff there to begin with. He also happens to be a bit of a thrill seeker. I think you have to be to be a smoke jumper. He's also employed by a company called Boeing. Yeah, Boeing Engineering, planes, you know, planes. me fly planes. planes. Yeah. Uh, now, they're very close to the case. Um, those who are close to the case, I should say, they felt that Peterson was a very highly likely, likely match for Cooper. When questioned by authorities, though, Peterson claimed adamantly that he was in Nepal at the time of the skyjacking. He died this year, 2021. Yep, just a couple of months ago. One of the last living suspects of uh, being D.B. So what ruled him out? Uh, they're saying that he was in Nepal at the time. So he, he said, well, I wasn't even in the country. You can't do that. But, you know. It's kind of hard to He checked to in on Facebook. Up. Yeah, yeah. He tagged himself in Nepal. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how you, unless you go to Nepal and start showing his picture around. That could be it. Oh, that's, oh, cool. That's the white guy who came here to find himself. Yeah. Wild. Uh, now, uh, I'm going to set you up for success here, LP, because the, the list is dwindling here, but we have a couple of, couple of rock stars left to cover. Dad, Robert Rackstraw. Take yeah, and he was he was big with uh, some of the other uh, shows and stuff that uh, or books that have been written about um, D.B. Cooper. Um, but he's a retired pilot, uh, ex-convict, uh, who served as an Army helicopter crew and other units during the Vietnam War. So, again, he's a veteran. Um, uh, he's arrested in Iran and deported to the back to the U.S. to face explosives explosive possession and check kiting charges and uh you know he tries to fake his own death by radioing a false mayday call and telling the controllers he was bailing out of a rented plane over monterey bay this guy rules. yeah so he he's he, he's party with that guy. yeah he's clever anyhow um and you know after the he, his plane that he claimed it was going down it was ditched it was it was found repainted and found in a nearby hangar later on so it, that that didn't really work out for him he re reemerged as a suspect in a history program in a book uh, history channel program that would be um and you know whether that's a compelling case for him um there was a lot of information that was brought forth by the freedom of information act very important. Sue the government every now and then, guys. Some good shit comes out yeah, of it, right? Find, you find, information. You find out some shit that's been in that back file for quite some time. Um, they uh, There was a, a group of volunteer investigators uncovered what they believed to be a decades-old parachute strap at an undisclosed location in the Pacific Northwest that was followed later in 2017 with a piece of foam uh, there's little bits and pieces of evidence that are, that are turning up throughout the 45 year or 
almost 50 year worth of well, investigation. Most physical evidence is going to disappear because a lot of the area he's suspected to have landed in was destroyed by the Mount St. Helens volcano oh. eruption of the 1980s. Uh, yeah. Another volcano ruining a crime scene. <laughs> it's a, it's a, you guys trampled yeah, this whole thing. Yeah. Thanks, FBI. What else are you going to pull out of your ass? Oh, man. Yeah. But there is some. So there is a conspiracy theory that yeah. was it the FBI that caused the main sound? Volcanoes just don't erupt on their own, people. <laughs> yeah, Follow right. the money. Yeah. This was a staged incident. Um, yeah, but so this guy got a lot of big play on, on the tube and, and everything else, but. Uh, um, uh, People magazine and, and uh, the History Channel and everything else, but he was further uh, further put down as a nah. This guy isn't. There really are so many mentally ill names on the list of suspected DB Cooper, you know, real life components or counterparts. You would assume it was an open mic night sign up sheet. That's how sick <laughs> some of these people. Are. I can't believe you have found a way to bring up Kevin Joseph Garifo into this podcast. <laughs> Boom, six for six, six for six. Um, anything else on? Uh, no, let's, let's, let's keep moving this thing along. Here, here comes my favorite. This guy is the best. All right, there's other every other good one we're going to say. There's something cool about him, but this guy's the best. You know who we're going to talk about, Rich? Walter right. Recca. The Rekka from Mecca, baby. Now, here is my favorite. Rekka admitted to being D.B. Cooper to a friend. The two recorded several conversations in which Rekka gave details that were not yet made available to the public. So he knows a lot of crazy shit here. His story largely checks out, and no evidence has been able to rule Rekka out as being D.B. Cooper. He was a former veteran with plenty of parachute experience, and his story about location landings and encounters once he got back on the ground, if you will, post-parachute, it's all checking out right now. Uh, everything seems to fit the bill over here about his escape. The only thing Rekka contradicted the FBI from with their reporting was his experience with skydiving because the FBI was like, well, he's probably not really super experienced. And Rika or Rekka, however you want to say it, is uh, definitely a very experienced guy here. He actually made the deal with his friend. He goes, I'll tell you this whole story. I'll give you all the details. You can't do anything with it until I die. So as soon as he dies, that's when his Walter Rekka's friend comes forward with this whole story. And what have we learned, by the way, if the FBI goes, well, we said that he didn't know anything about this. And I go, well, this guy seems to have done the crime. He's admitting to all this stuff. He knows shit that the public didn't know yet. I mean, he's pretty much in tune with this whole thing. And he fits the bill for being the guy who could pull it off. And the FBI is like, well, no, because then that'll make us look bad if we have to say that maybe he did know what he was. So mm -hmm. we're just going to rule him out as a suspect. So, yeah, Walter Recca. Anything else on him, BRFJ? He was a great man. They, um, they, they really <laughs> ruled him out over some petty shit. Like, uh, it seems that it way. Seems there's like probably it. some other stuff. Again, because new evidence is still coming out on this uh, to this day that there's no longer an act investigation, but you can still make phone calls and stuff like that. And Freedom of Information Act, if you ever want an incentive to why you should live a long and healthy life, it's because you're going to find out the weird shit the government's doing now, but in about 30 years when no one cares anymore. It's like birthday parties. Right. After 30, you stop celebrating. People have to die before you can find out the truth. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's true here. And uh, when Rekka died, they did bring that forward here. We've got two more people for you on the list here, Cahoons, all right? Honorable Judge Kahuna, William J. Smith. <laughs> of course, in session. Dad, what do you got? William J. Smith. Hey, William J. Smith of Bloomfield, New Jersey. Yeah, we're talking. Yeah, all right. Two for we got two Jersey, we got two Jersey boys. Jersey, baby. Uh, he's, uh, he's a suspect, and he's uh, also based on research conducted by uh, an Army data analysis um, of, of the findings from the FBI in the mid-2018. Uh, so 2018, I mean, this is years after the actual hijacking or skyjacking. Um, 
This guy, Will, Will, Will Smith, uh, he's a World War II veteran. Uh, after high school, he enlisted in the Navy, volunteered for combat air crew wow, wow, training. Uh, after he uh, was discharged from the, the Navy, he went to work for the Lehigh Valley Railroad and Penn Central Transportation Company, which happened to go bankrupt in 1970. So the year before the skyjacking, uh, this guy is now out of a job and the loss of his pension. So there's there's a need for money. He's created um, motive, as right. they would say. Uh, he's 43 years uh, old at the time of the hijacking. So uh, there's, you know, he's fitting the middle-aged white male type of a thing. Um, and in Will Smith's high school yearbook, there's a list of alumni killed uh, from World War II. And one of the one of the men mentioned in his high school yearbook is Daniel Cooper. So did he take revenge. the name? Not revenge, but in memory did he take? Of. Yeah, did he take the name of uh, this uh, this vet? And does he does he hold a huge grudge against the transportation industry because he just lost his job uh, yeah. working on the railroad? So you know what's what's taking the jobs from the railroad, well, the airlines. So mm -hmm. let's let's see if we can't uh, rip off the the uh, the airlines. Um, you know, Smith's naval aviation experience had given him knowledge of planes and parachutes, and his railroad experience would have helped him find railroad tracks and hop on a train and escape the area after landing in the Pacific Northwest. That uh, you know, he's going to hobo his way out of uh, out of there aboard a, a, a railroad. And you know, I don't, I doubt that the FBI was checking every boxcar uh, no. <laughs> planes, uh, trains going out of there. So. Anyhow, and, and analysis um, on that clip-on tie again, uh, he worked in a locomotive maintenance facility that would have had that same aluminum uh, spiral chips that they found on the clip-on tie and uh -huh. that kind of thing. So there, there's, again, a lot of circumstantial stuff going on there with uh, with him. But uh, that, that was another one of our Jersey-owned uh, William J. Smith. Now, uh, in... In summation, if you will, I, I don't want to say in summation because we have one more piece of evidence, one more possible D.B. Cooper here. His name is Dwayne L. Weber. Now, we keep saying that mental, mentally ill people, and you see that a lot with conspiracy theorists. They always talk about having uh, um, uh, being manic depressive or bipolar, that these people kind of think that things are real. Like, I'm the only one who can actually see all the, you know, the details. So this guy takes on a little bit of a, he's clearly a mentally ill guy. Dwayne L. Weber confessed on his deathbed to his wife. He goes, I am Dan Cooper. He was a World War II veteran that served several prison stints and told his wife three days before his death in 1995 that he was the one who pulled off this whole skyjacking incident. When his now widow finally began researching the topic because she didn't put two and two together, she goes, oh, he said Dan Cooper, not DB. I'm Dan Cooper. Just, I don't know what he's saying. I mean, it's his deathbed. I don't, it could be anything, right? And someone says, hey, wasn't Dan Cooper the real name of DB Cooper? And they say, oh, shit, did my husband just confess on his deathbed to being D.B. Cooper? So what does she do? Starts researching the topic. And she goes ahead. She walks on down to the local library, takes out a book, starts reading about the incident. And in the margins on the pages about D.B. Cooper is handwriting that matches her now deceased husband's. So did he kind of lose his shit towards the end? Because apparently he woke up in the middle of the night and had a, a terrible nightmare saying that he, I jumped off a plane. And I left fingerprints on the aft staircase. I think this guy was just straight up mentally ill and took on the identity of D.B. Cooper as some sort of a multiple personality schizophrenic kind of a thing. 
Because, I mean, you see people, how often do you see that, Rich? There's people who confess to crimes they never could have possibly committed. Because, oh, yeah. yeah. And they believe pretty, themselves, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty consistent. And it's not, like you said, they believe themselves. It's not just, uh, I'm going to say this to see if people believe me. Like, Oh, yeah. They pass they, they truly, in their own yeah. mind, believe that that's, that's yep. the truth, right? They've taken it on, and it's part of their story. Oh, plus the fact, I mean, D.B. Cooper has got worldwide fame that he's the only guy that um, that case was never closed as to, you know, uh, he there's was people make, wearing T-shirts of his face. Is the police sketch that we're going to put up for the episode? There's people that are wearing T-shirts of uh, him like at a bar. Like it wouldn't be uncommon to see a bumper sticker or something with his face. Yeah, he on. became a folk hero. That, Absolutely. Uh, you know, he was able to rip off the man and get away with it. He ripped uh, off the man, didn't hurt anyone. Right. You know, played it cool, didn't you know, create uh, some of these criminals that become heroes, even though they went out and, you know, shot 20 people during their bank robberies. Um, yeah, this guy is a folk hero. And if you want to go down as being somebody cool, the name D.B. Cooper is pretty cool. D.B. Cooper, K.P. Burke. I see what you guys are doing. What'd you say about people in their own mind? In think their own minds become famous? Uh, heroes. Yeah, right, right. Uh, you know, it's like my good friend Colin <laughs> Quinn's always telling me. Um, <laughs> No, man. Well, I'll, I'll say, well, we got a pun intended. We got to land this plane safely here in a second to get on out of here. But this is Patreon exclusive. So that part's been great. You guys are always kicking ass. Big Rich from Jersey. Anything else you want to say about this case on your way out? Because we don't have a, we, we have some ideas of who it is. And then we're going to throw over to the judge so that he can tell us what he's thinking. Judge yeah. Cahoon is going to end the case for us all today here. I think now is the time to admit to everyone, or at least those people who are paying the monthly Patreon to listen to American Loser, that I am. D.B. Cooper. Big Rich from D.B. Wow. Cooper. You heard it first. You heard it here first, <laughs> folks. throw people off, I was. Uh, I had my mother give birth to me five years later. Ooh, class. <laughs> so, there's a, so there's a string. There's more people involved. He's yes, not a lone yes, actor. Yes. Actually, if I could just play my mother for this and get her arrested, that would be that would help me this coming Thanksgiving. Uh, wait, uh, you just, it's such a – like, I appreciate you having me on. I can't wait to hear what, what uh, the Cajun is going to judge and rule on this because – like I said, since uh, since I was a kid, that the name DB Cooper just signified, you know, a folk hero who got away with it, and and just it's the smoothest criminal out there. Man, it's the only unsolved skyjacking that. Uh, yeah. DB, are you okay? To this are day, are you okay, DB? And while Kahuna is uh, contemplating in his chambers, in his chambers on uh, on his opinion as to who is the real DB Cooper, I just DB Cooper. Whoever you are, you had some fame thrown at you here that um, since his hijacking, there was a, a bunch of uh, copycats that they were trying to do use that same rear aft air stair on the 727 air, aircraft. And there was one other aircraft that had that same rear staircase that other hijackers tried to pull the same stunt that D.B. Cooper did. Uh, but... A year later, in 1972, the FAA, yeah, they said, you know what, that, that rear staircase thing, <laughs> uh, you guys can put that down while the plane is in flight. Uh, we we got to change that. We got to change yeah. that up. Oh, shit. I missed my stop. <laughs> I was supposed to get off back. At <laughs> right, right. There's no cord to pull to let the, let yeah. the pilot know this is where I get <laughs> off. <laughs> um, but there was uh, a device that was ordered by the FAA called a Cooper vane, like a weather vane that when the plane is in the air and you're flying at you know flight speed, this weather vane type of thing um, swings around and prevents that rear staircase from dropping down. Uh, once you come down below flight speed and you're now back on the ground and there's no wind pushing this 
this control, uh, this locking mechanism, uh, then the staircase can come down. When you're safely on the ground, the staircase can come down. But when you're up in the air, you can no longer deploy the uh, the aft staircase. No tickets. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's that time because typically we'd be throwing him to a, a casting couch right now. But I, I've uh, got one too. Oh, if this was right. real, Let's hear it. If this was, dude, but Honorable Judge Kahuna presiding. I I got two things I got to say. One is that I think I think it might have been Walter Walter Brecker. I think he I, like I think it. he out of everyone there. I'm like he, his instructions were so specific. I just feel like the FBI was just being kind of petty in this one scenario. Unless there's other evidence. Well, he was dead too, because remember, if you, you want to have the glory of catching the guy, yeah, you know, but it's already like he got away with it because there's no way he, if you there's no charges. Exactly. They're, they're just like they're, there's no hope of finding the person alive at this point. Now, I mean, they'd be they'd be ancient, but I mean, I think I think the highest to me at least is is Walter Recca mm -hmm. and then my com my computer my conspiracy theory hat tinfoil hat came on and then I was like yo what if there was never a DB Cooper at all and it was a thing between the pilots and the stewardesses and just someone who looked like DB they planned <laughs> this sort of heist and it just backfired so they tossed the money out the plane and when they landed they were like we don't know where he went and the money's missing too wow so they're like that's a that's we've, a that's a mind to come up with that con yeah, conspiracy this theory. Boy enough though, that's the problem. We keep uh, we keep doing the conspiracy. Did they pat down the airline stewardess after she got off the plane to see oh, whether she's my, got? It's the perfect crime. Oh, that's right. She gained a little weight in the, flight. That's why the that's why the that's why the movie is going to be called the DB Coopers. Ah, okay. Uh, starring Cooper. John Hamm. John Hamm. I like as DB Cooper. That makes sense. Assuming a new identity. Oh, there's a little Mad Men action in there too. Cool comic collective with his. Uh, with a suit and tie in the back row. I like it. It's a, Now, if you were making a movie about a BRFJ, and then we'll go to you next, Larry, um, who are you casting as D.B. Cooper? Well, obviously me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to brag, but I'm an incredible actor, especially when, when I have no lines. Um, <laughs> See, I would go comedy with this, and I would make it, uh, uh, again, I'd, I'd go Jim Norton. Norton? Yeah, I just think it'd be great to see him just blinking uncontrollably. <laughs> <laughs> Chugging, yeah, it's tough. I think uh, there's another comedian, comedian that I think would be really good for it. But I'm blanking on his name. Lawrence he Patrick, was, if you're made, uh, good. No, he was in the office. Uh, he played Dwight. Rain Wilson. Yeah, I yeah. think I think he could do. It That's a good DB Cooper right yeah, there. It's not bad. Lawrence Patrick, what do you have? Send us home on a high note. I'm going with Gonzo. Oh, we're doing Mupp sticking to our Muppet theme here. On show. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I like the idea of eventually a Muppet heist movie. I, I think Muppet D.B. Cooper movie might be it. <laughs> stuff it makes for the most sense. I like the Muppets in any kind of movie. I mean, whatever. That's very true. Uh, with a, a Sam Eagle investigating the crime, that'd be great. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> but I'll say this uh, once again, as always, wonderful guest, Big Rich from Jersey. Please check him out. McDonald and Carney, all right, are back in action. So if you guys want to check them out over on Instagram, is what McDonald and Carney? Yeah, just uh, McDonald and Carney, C A R N E Y, on Instagram, uh, on Facebook. You can look up McDonald and Carney, comedy duo, or Rich McDonald. Now we're talking, man. Uh, as always, great guest. Thank you so much for coming in, man. I'm KP Burke. You can check me out over at, uh, at KP Burke Sucks on Instagram, uh, American Loser Podcast on Instagram. If you're, oh, guys, you already know, I'm not plugging any upcoming dates because this is only, you know, we have just the Patreon folks here, but do me a favor, guys. 
if you're talking to me on Patreon or if you're talking to me just on the American Loser page, just follow me on my regular page as well because I'll get back to you faster. Right? Nothing hurts me worse than when I have to accidentally be like, oh, hey, so that thing you sent me a month ago. Yeah, sorry about that. I didn't see it till just now. And again, thank you so much to Marion Flanell, who came out to the Poughkeepsie show, and uh, John Hirsch, who came out. Uh, and they brought people with them, too. It was really cool. That, that's, that might never happen again in my life, where we have uh, two shows <laughs> in a weekend, and the crowd is full of uh, Patreon fans. Not full, but in, in some house. small part. <laughs> you are American loser! <laughs> that pretty much, that's what it was, man. But no, two great guys Thanks, over guys. there who brought some great people, too. So we hope to continue to grow the show. It means a lot to me. Lawrence Patrick, say goodbye to the people. Goodbye, people. Oh, you can catch me in uh, Brick Township putting another coat of spackle on the ceiling. Now we're talking. All right. uh, we're, we're very close to a bay window. So, Cahoons, <laughs> uh, thank you so much, man. Go ahead and support uh, the Kahuna's sister who uh, maybe maybe don't support her because it will ruin the mystery of, of who he actually is. But we'll figure out a way to promote her in a more positive, uh, not more positive, but a, a more um, indirect light so we don't ruin the mystery of the Kahuna. But we didn't ruin the mystery of D.B. Cooper for you guys, and he's a goddamn good one. This has been extremely fun. Thank you so much for being the founding losers. And that was D.B. Cooper. We love you. American Loser. An American Loser the day I was born. An American Loser the day I was born. An American Loser the day I was born.